Um, and I had this thought just rose up in my spirit. And he said, when you fear, turn to worship. When you fear, turn to worship. So, so I immediately... I mean, I wasn't necessarily in fear or anything, but, but you know, you, man, you hear all the reports, you hear all the, you know, all the things that everybody's saying, and, and man, sometimes it just makes you stop and wonder, like, man, what's going to happen? You know, what's, what's really going on here? But, but when I started worshiping, so I turned some worship music on and started worshiping, and, and I found, I mean, it was exactly like he said, like what he told me. I found that as soon as I started worshiping, my mind went off of, off of that fear and off of what was happening, and my mind went back to him. And, you know, and, and I know we've been taught this and we've heard this many times that, you know, what you worship, what you worship, you magnify. What you think about, you magnify. If you sit, now listen, if you sit around and think about um, all of this stuff, if you think about, um, if you think about the, you know, everything that the, the, the news media is saying and everything that's happening, you know, it would, it would drive you crazy, wouldn't it? I mean, it would, it would literally, you know, I mean, it would just make you, it would make you be in fear and make you uh, wonder what's, what's happening and things like that. So, um, but when we start magnifying God, when we start worshiping Him, then, then we start seeing that the answer to our problem, the answer to, to getting out of fear is to get our mind back on the Lord. So as I started asking the Lord about that, I was like, well, Lord, how do you see this? How do you, you know, what's going on today, how do you see it? And I heard the Lord say this. He said, he said, look at what David did. So my heart went to my heart because I was thinking about worship. And now let's think about David for a moment because this is interesting. When you, when you read the, the Old Testament, you, you know, you, we, we read about from the beginning, you know, we read about Abraham and Moses and Noah and we read about a lot of the, you know, a lot of the patriarchs and, and of, of old. But one thing that you know, one thing that you notice is not an emphasis in those early books is worship. Now they sacrificed and they they would do things like that. But it's not until David comes on the scene that worship is a key part. And because you know, and think about this. Think about think about uh, Moses. The Bible tells us that Moses met God face to face. Man, that's an that's an incredible thing. That he was he, he he was a man that talked to God face to face. When you think about um, when you think about Abraham, when we see the story of Abraham, what does the Bible say about about Abraham? The Bible says he was a friend of God. Man, it's great to be a friend of God. I mean, that's that's a wonderful thing. But what is it when it comes to David? When we get to the story of David and we start seeing the life of David, what does the Bible say about David? The Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. And so we start getting to the center because everything that God does, everything that, that we see in the Bible, and, and, I, and I say this a lot, and I mean, it's the way I just describe uh, God and how He does things to me, but, but I say God is a heart God. You know, He's about your heart. And, you know, so when you start looking at, when you start looking at David, you start seeing some things about him. And, uh, and, and look here in Psalm 132. Psalm 132, and this was this was a song that or a psalm that David that David wrote, and and he said this, and and I'm just I'm going to read this from the uh, from the Amplified just to save a little bit of time this morning, but Psalm 132 from the Amplified, and Paul will put it up on the screen if if you don't have the Amplified, but but it says this, it says, Lord, earnestly remember to David's credit all of his humiliations and his hardships and his endurance. How he, now listen to this, how he swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob, and this is what he said, Surely I will not enter my dwelling house or get into my bed. I will not permit my eyes to sleep or my eyelids to slumber until I have found a place for the Lord, a habitation for the mighty one of Jacob. What a vow. David said, I'm not going to enter the house. I'm not going to go to sleep. I'm not going to rest. I'm not going to close my eyes until I have made a place for God to abide. Now think about that. Now Moses' Moses' story is great. Noah's is incredible. Abraham's story is wonderful. But, you know, here we start seeing, the. I believe we start seeing the heart of God. 
David was, when you think about worship, and, and what we're going to talk about, we're talking about this morning about having a heart for worship. Because that's exactly what David did. David had a heart for worship. And David knew that, that the, the one key part of worship in his day was the Ark of the Covenant. Right? Because the Ark of the Covenant represented what? The Ark of the Covenant represented the presence of God. You know, it was the box that God told, told, uh, told uh, Moses to build and gave him all the instructions. And, and you know, it was, it was just, you know, just a beautiful, a beautiful box that was overlaid with gold. And it had all of the, uh, you know, everything that God had told Moses to do. And it had the two cherubim uh, made out of gold on the top and, and had their wings touching. And, and underneath their wings was what was called the mercy seat. And it's where they brought the, the offering once a year, you know, to, to offer the blood offering on the, on the mercy seat there. But, but, but the thing about the, the, the Ark of the Covenant was this. There was something else that was special about the Ark of the Covenant. And the Bible says that there was a blue flame that resided between the, between the, between the wings of the, the two cherubim that was up top there. And that blue flame represented the presence of God. And we know all the, from the early day when they delivered the children of Israel and they carried the they carried the Ark of the Covenant. The Bible says that it provided smoke for the for the the daytime to shield them and to protect them from the heat. And then at night it was a flame and it protected and it brought heat to them. I mean, the presence of God will protect you wherever you are. And David David said this. He said, I'm not going to slumber. I'm not going to rest until I bring the presence of God into Jerusalem. Now, we know, if you read the story from, from Samuel, uh, if you, you can go ahead and turn back over to First Chronicles. But if you read the story in Samuel, we know that David's first attempt, after David became king, David's first attempt to go get the Ark of the Covenant the Bible says that he that he he got uh, you know he brought some of his men and he knew that he needed to rescue the Ark of the Covenant and he rescued it and he put it on a new cart. The Bible says uh, pulled by oxen, and it says that as they were on their way coming to Jerusalem, uh, that the that the, the oxen stumbled and the Ark of the Covenant started to fall over. Uzziah just reached up one of his one of David's mighty men. He just reached up to steady the Ark to keep it from falling. And the Bible says that when he touched the Ark of the Covenant, that, that, that he died just like that. And David, and it says David was upset, you know, and David went to God and said, God, what's up with this, you know? And long story short, basically what God told him, God said, God said, I never told you to move the Ark with oxen and a new cart. He, and basically what he told David was, go back and see, go back and get my instructions about the presence. And so David, David took the ark and put it in Obed-Edom's house. And he said, he said, this is going to hang out here until I figure out what to do with it. Now, could you imagine, just, I mean, step back from what I'm talking about for a second. Could you imagine what Obed-Edom thought? He just saw a guy get vaporized because he touched this thing. And now here David is. David says, here, hang on to this until I figure out what to do with it. And I'm sure he probably put it out back thinking, I ain't going nowhere near that thing. You know, I mean, what, what, what's going on? But then something interesting started happening. The Bible says that Obed-Edom's house all of a sudden started prospering. His crops started growing. His animals started multiplying. His wife got prettier. His, his, kids, his kids all of a sudden started flourishing. Everything about Obed-Edom's house started changing, and it started changing for the better. So after months of this, somebody came to David and said, David, have you heard what's happening up at Obed-Edom's house? And David said, no, what's going on? And they told him, they said, everything is prospering. Everything, you would not believe the change since we put the ark, since the presence of God entered his house. You will not believe the difference. So David, of course, David had been doing this, I'm sure. David went back to Jerusalem and he studied, he, 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 he had his, his scribes go back and study what God had said about the ark. And of course, what God had said about the ark was this, that it was to be carried by priests on the shoulders of four priests. It wasn't to be carried by oxen. You know, if, if you go and we, we've done a study on this years ago, it's been a while, it's a fascinating study. But if you study the, the tabernacle of Moses, 
the tabernacle of the in the wilderness. That's a fascinating story to, to study and all the symbolism and, and everything. But God gave detailed instructions how to set the, set the tent up and how to set the, the tabernacle up, how to take it down, how to transport it, and how to move everything. I mean, he had detailed instructions about it. And what David had done is David had, had decided that, that he didn't need to follow that anymore and he could do it his way. And he soon found out that God was like, no, you cannot get the presence but one way. And so, that, so, so what, what we come into here in 1 Chronicles, this is told both, both in Samuel and Chronicles. And there's a reason I'm reading out of Chronicles, cause just because it brings some details out that Samuel doesn't about this certain thing. So here we get to 1 Chronicles 15. And we find that David has read, he, he has, he's went back and heard and listened to what God has said about it. He's realized that, hey, I've got, I've got to have the Levites, the, the, the priests to go back and carry the ark and, and, uh, and the, the, you know, and, and have the priests, the, the ark move on the, the, the shoulders of the priests. So he goes back and the Bible says this, that, that he took, now check this out, he took almost a thousand people to move the Ark of the Covenant from Obed-Edom's house into Jerusalem. Now, it was one box. He could have done it, you know, did he need a thousand people? But we find out very quickly why he took a thousand people. It was because, because he went, he listened to what God said. He saw what God had said about the Ark and about the presence. And then he said, you know what, I'm going to follow this. Now, Samuel, in Samuel's account, Samuel's account says this, that, that when David got the ark, that it said they would take six steps and offer a sacrifice. Now, it's interesting. The first sacrifice that was mentioned was the ox. It says they offered an ox for a sacrifice. The first time David tried to bring, to move the ark with an ox. This time, David said, no, he said, I'm going to sacrifice my way so that I do it God's way. And he sacrificed the ox. And then, now, there's a lot of debate about whether, whether that wording in Samuel meant that they took six steps and then sacrificed, or whether they just made a sacrifice when they first started. You know, we don't really, we don't know for sure, but my, I believe, just from knowing, knowing David and knowing his heart, I, it wouldn't surprise me one bit to see them take six steps and offer a sacrifice. I heard one person say it this way one time that, that the reason he did that was because, because every time you take a step, your past has to be covered with the blood of Jesus. And that's good. They offered a sacrifice every, if they did do that. Now listen, it was something like anywhere, they say anywhere between 13 and 19 miles from Obed-Edom's house to Jerusalem. So they made this journey, they made this journey I mean, you know, and of course it was on foot. They didn't, didn't have a car to jump in or, or something like that. So they made this journey. Every, could you imagine every six steps stopping and offering a sacrifice? But the, peop, the reason they had so many people was because he had worshipers. He had, he had people with instruments. He had people with cymbals. He had singers. He had dancers. They were all just every, all before the ark and behind the ark. And they were worshiping and dancing. But why? Because the presence of the Lord was going to come into Jerusalem for the very first time. The ark of the covenant had never been in Jerusalem before. David conquered Jerusalem and he said, I'm bringing the ark here. Now let's look here just a couple verses in uh, chapter 15, and we're going to skip around a little bit, but, but I want you to see this. Remember, we saw in, in Psalm 132, David said, he said, I'm not going to let, he said, I'm not going to slumber, I'm not going to sleep until I, until I prepare a habitation for God. Now listen to these numbers before we read this. When you, when you, when you study the tabernacle of David, uh, and we'll, we'll see some of this, but, but David gave, over his lifetime, between between what what he did here and preparing the the, the place for the for the for the uh, tabernacle of David to be the ark of the covenant to rest and, and then of course what he gave to Solomon to to prepare a temple you know because David wanted to build a temple David wanted to build a permanent house for God but God told him he couldn't because he had blood on his hands he said but but I'll raise up a son and he'll be able to well David started stockpiling. Uh, gold and silver and all this stuff. 
over David's lifetime, if, if it was today's money, he would, he would have given over $100 billion toward the house of God with a B. Not an M, a B. $100 billion in today's money is what David would have given toward the house of God. And we wonder, we wonder if you ever have any question about why God would say that David was a man after his own heart. Because David's heart was toward the habitation of God. Amen. Now listen to this. David established, now we'll read this, but I'll just I'll share this now. David, when David got the, when he finally got the temple or the, the ark back into Jerusalem, he put it in, he, he constructed a tent. And here in, in verse 1, let's just, we'll read a couple of verses. It says, this is 1 Chronicles 15. David built houses for himself in the city of David, that's Jerusalem, and he prepared a place for the ark of God, and he pitched a tent for it. Then David said, No one may carry the ark of God but the Levites, for the, God, for, for the Lord has chosen them to carry the ark of God and to minister before him forever. So David gathered all of Israel together at Jerusalem to bring up the ark of the Lord to its place, which he had prepared for it. Then David assembled the children of Aaron and the Levites, and he goes through and he lists the, all the different ones that he prepared to come. And then if you skip down to uh, verse 13, and, and he had called the Levites together and, and told them the, what, what, he had, what was going on, and, and he said this, and, and he says, For because you did not do it the first time, the Lord our God broke out against us because we did not consult him about the proper order. And boy, that's a lesson for all of us to learn. Did you hear what he said? He said that he said we didn't do it right the first time. Why didn't we do it right, David? Because we didn't seek the Lord about how to do it. Have you sought the Lord about what you're doing right now? Listen, what about what about what's going on in the world right now? Have you stopped and asked God, God, what should I be doing right now? God, how should I be handling this? Listen, David said, he said, the reason that, that we got into trouble the first time because we didn't consult the Lord about the proper order, the way to do these things. So it says, the priest and the Levites sanctified themselves to bring the ark of the Lord of God to Israel. And the children of the Levites bore the ark of God on their shoulders by its poles as Moses had commanded according to the word of the Lord. Then David spoke to the leaders of the Levites to appoint their brethren to be singers accompanied by instruments of music, stringed instruments, harps, and cymbals by the raising of the voice with resounding joy. David said, David said, listen, we're going to do this. We're going to make this journey. Yes, it's long. Yes, it's hot. Yes, it's hard. But you know what we're doing? We're going to do it praising God, worshiping God, full of joy. What BJ said this morning, man, leaping and jumping and just praising God about just full of joy. Why? Because when you stir yourself up, it reminds you. What, what, what was the scripture he said? It reminds you what? That God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. Amen. So no, we don't have to be fearful in today. We can be joyous. We can be full of joy and happy and, and just go about our business doing things like just and have a smile on our face. And people might say, well, aren't you scared? Aren't you worried? No. Why? Because I know that God is for me. Now, I'm not being stupid. I'm not doing, I'm not going around, you know, doing stupid things. I'm, I'm using common sense in this, but guess what? I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid of the coronavirus. Why? Because God is for me. Amen. So David goes and they get the ark, they bring it back and they, they, and they make sacrifices and they do all this and it takes them, it takes them days, if, if not more than that, to get back and, and then look down at verse 28. It says, uh, so thus all of Israel brought up the ark of the covenant of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn and with trumpets and with cymbals making music with stringed instruments and harps. And it happened as the ark of the covenant of the Lord came to the city of David that Michael, Saul's daughter, which is David's wife, looked through a window and saw King David whirling and playing music and she despised him in her heart. Now, just a couple of things, I'm not going to focus on that, but, but just a couple of things about that. Why wasn't she 
with him bringing the presents back. She wasn't interested in the presents. And when she saw somebody that was, she thought, that's stupid. Have you ever had anybody tell you, you're crazy to worship like that? You're crazy to go to a church that's got guitars and drums and, and all that loud music. Well, you know what? David, later on, David, when he goes to his house, later on he tells her, he says, he says, you think that was, he says, you think that was undignified. He said, you ain't seen nothing yet. Now listen, what did David do? Why was that? Because the Bible says that as they come into, as they came into Jerusalem, David took off his, his robe. He took off his kingly garments and he just had a, he had a, uh, just a cover and a loincloth covering him. And he was dancing and shouting and jumping and running and, and just, just worshiping God before the ark as it came in, as the presence of God came into Jerusalem for the very first time. As the presence came in, David said, I'll worship him with my whole heart. He said, I've, he said, I've made a vow to the God that, that I would not stop until I've got the habitation, until I've got a habitation for the Lord. Now let me ask you this. How many of us, how many of us have even, have even inconvenienced ourselves a little bit for the habitation of God? To get in a place where His presence is. Just a thought. So David brings the ark in and, and he sets it up in chapter 16. It talks about, it talks about how David set the, set the ark in the place that he established. And let's read a couple of verses here and then we'll, we'll talk about this story. And then we'll turn to the New Testament to see a picture of this. It says, so they brought the ark of God. This is chapter 16, verse 1. First Chronicles. They brought the ark of God and set it in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it. Then they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before God. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. He distributed to everyone of Israel, both man and woman, and to everyone a loaf of bread, a piece of meat, and a cake of raisins. And now listen to verse 4. He appointed some of the Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord, to, com- to commemorate, to thank, and to praise the Lord God of Israel. Now we find out in, in the next few verses and in- chapters to come that David established something totally different, something that had never been done before. And what that was was this, that the tabernacle of David... Now, the tabernacle of David was totally opposite of the tabernacle, the tabernacle of Moses from this standpoint... In the tabernacle of Moses, the Ark of the Covenant was put back into the Holy of Holies, was put into the Holy of Holies, what was called the Holy of Holies, and a veil separated the Ark from the people. And nobody could go back and, and be near the Ark of the Covenant except for the priest, and, and the, the high priest could only do it one time a year. It was the only time that anybody ever got into the presence of the Ark of the Covenant. And it was a holy ritual. It was a, I mean, God had it all laid out how everything was going to be. And, and it was, you know, and, and everything was, um, it was done exactly the way God had it to be done. But when David, a man after God's own heart, the tabernacle of David was totally different. You know what the tabernacle of David looked like? Does anybody know? It was just a big open tent. It didn't have sides on it. All it was was poles and it had a roof on it. And the sides were totally open. And God and, and David, when he brought the Ark of the Covenant back in to, to, the, to the habitation that he had prepared for it, he brought it in and he set it smack dab in the middle of that tent. And the people could see the Ark of the Covenant. The people could get near the Ark of the Covenant. Now, they couldn't touch it. And we find that they had gatekeepers. They had, they had people appointed to keep the people away from the ark to where they wouldn't touch it. Because if they touched it, they would die. But the ark of the covenant was there to be worshipped, to be, I mean, to worship around, to sing songs around. To, and, and we find out this, that David appointed, the, the numbers are something like this, that David, David appointed 4,000 musicians, 4,000 gatekeepers, and 288 singers and, and all kinds of other scribes. And I'll, I'll talk about that just for a moment. But he, he appointed that many people. And guess what he did? He paid them all. He paid them. He said, this, he said your full-time job is going to be nothing but to worship God. 
to thank God. He said there's going to be music and there's going to be worship and there's going to be a celebration 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. We're never going to stop thanking God. For over 30 years, the Tabernacle of David was set up and it was, there was praise and worship going 24-7 for over 30 years. And could you imagine, I, I just get this picture that David, David had it set up to where from his, from his living room or from his bedroom, he could look out and if, 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 people, if, if, if people moved just in the right way, that David could see that blue flame of the presence of God over across the hill where the tabernacle of David was set up. And even from, you know, just, and, and listen, and one of the incredible things, the, the story goes like this, and Samuel, it tells us this, that when, when David came to get the Ark of the Covenant from Obed-Edom, uh, Obed-Edom said, Obed-Edom probably turned around to his wife and his kids and said, said, guys, pack up. Why, Dad? What's going on? Because we're going with the Ark. We're going with the presence. And we find this, that when David set up gatekeepers, the ones to protect the ark and the ones to, to surround it, Obed-Edom was the main one. He was the head gatekeeper of the ark of the covenant. The presence of God made such a difference in his life. He said, wherever the presence goes, I'm going. Wow, that is, that is incredible. So, so we, and then we find here in uh, Chronicles, um, how are we doing? Good. Um, in... Uh, Chapter 16, David writes this psalm. And, and this, is actually, this is actually a combination of three psalms that we find in the book of Psalms. It's Psalm 96, 105, and 106. But listen to what David, as, as, the, as, the, as they set all this up and they, they come in and they get the Ark of the Covenant set into place and they start worshiping him and they start praising him, David writes this psalm and he gives it to, he gives it to the to the chief musician, and he says, "Now he says, go, he says, go play this psalm in front of the in front of the the, covenant, the ark of the covenant." Now, and what David would do, this was incredible. We find this: David he he hired uh, scribes, and they were people that would take you know that like uh, that would keep notes about what was said. And when people came into the presence, when people would come to the tabernacle to worship, when they got near the presence, they would start singing and God would, God would start moving on them And when they got in the presence. And the scribes were, were there to write down every word that was said in the presence of the Lord. And many people believe that's, that's where a lot of the psalms that David wrote came from. Now here's another interesting thing. We read, we you know, we everybody's kind of making Psalm 91 a emphasis right now with protection and stuff. But verse one in Psalm 91 talks about uh, that we stay under the shadow of the Almighty. Now, you know, and I said this last week when we talked about Psalm 91. A lot of people think that that maybe Moses wrote Psalm 91 when he was in the wilderness. Some people believe that David wrote it. I, I'm not, you know, it doesn't really matter who to me who wrote it, but it was because it was still the same either way. But could it be? That with David, because remember, you couldn't go up and touch the ark. But guess what? When the sun, because they put the ark on the top of a mountain, on the top of uh, the mountain, one of the mountains there, Mount Moriah, I believe it was, in Jerusalem. And when the sun came and, and hit it just at the right angle, uh, we talked about shadows last week. Remember, we talked about that. But you remember when the, when the sun would come in and, 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 and hit the ark of the covenant, the, it would portray a shadow out there. And could it be that David... David would love to go in that time of day and he would go and just sit in the shadow of the presence of God. Because guess what? The shadow, remember what we said, the shadow wasn't, wasn't the person itself, but it was, it, it, was a, it, was a, it was showing you that you were really close. If you could touch the shadow, you were really close to that object. And could it be that David went... And, and, and when David would go in the evenings, he would go when the sun was hitting the, the Ark of the Covenant, and he would just sit in the shadow of the Ark of the Covenant, which represented the presence of God. He couldn't touch it, but he could sit in the shadow. He could sit close. Remember we talked about he who dwells in the secret place. He who abides in the shadow of the Almighty. Just my thought, I think David spent a lot of time in the shadow of the ark. But isn't it something that, that the whole thing shifted? 
that, you know, Abraham and, and, and Moses and Noah and all those, they, you know, their story is wonderful, but you don't see the emphasis on worship like you do now with David. Now with David, everything's about worship. As a matter of fact, just this is here in 1 Chronicles 15. It's not too many more chapters over. You turn over to 2 Chronicles 20 is the story of Jehoshaphat, who what? What does he do? He, he puts the worshipers out front of the army. That was unheard of. Where did he get that from? He got it from David. Guess what? David set up all these rules and all these the the way to worship. After David after David died, uh, and and you know Israel after after David died, and and it was that way probably before David too. But but Israel would 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 wander from God, and a, a priest or a, a judge or a prophet would would speak to them, and they would finally make their way back and and get back right with God. Seven different times. In the, from, from the time David passed away and, until the end of the Old Covenant, seven different times we find when, when Israel wandered from God and when they, when they came back to God, when they found their way back to God, they, they reestablished the worship protocols of David for the presence of God. His, the, his, his, um, the, whole, the whole thing shifted with David. And we've always said that David, see, David, I believe, was a, was a type. What David set up in the ark of the, or the tabernacle of David was a type of the New Testament believer. Never before had, could people approach the presence of God. Now, under the new covenant, guess what? He lives on the inside of us. You know, so see, David, this was a, this was something that had never happened before. This was something that was just incredible. Turn over to John chapter 4. John chapter 4, we're talking about having a heart of worship and getting back to worshiping God. When you're, when you're fearful, when you don't know what to do, man, start worshiping. Find some worship music. Put some worship music on. Get your mind off everything else and get your mind on God. And when you get your mind on God, it'll take you places that you never thought you could go. It'll, it'll, it, it will set you free. He, you'll have answers. He'll start speaking to you. You'll start seeing things. and You'll have answers that, that will just, just astound you. And you'll think, where did that come from? And you'll realize, oh, it was when I was in the presence that that happened. Now let's read this story real quick here in John chapter 4. Very familiar scripture. And it's the scripture of the Samaritan woman when Jesus meets uh, the Samaritan woman at the well. And it says that... Um, in John chapter 4, verse 1, Therefore, when the Lord knew that, that the Pharisees had heard that, Jesus, um, had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize, but his disciples did, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee, and, for he needed to go through Samaria. Now, he could, now you have to remember, Samaria, Samaria was a place for the Gentiles. The Samaritans, the Jews considered the Samaritans half-breeds. They considered them dogs. It was so bad. Now, we think racism is bad in our day, but this, this was truly racism. <laughs> I mean, the Jews, they looked down on the Samaritans. They wouldn't even talk to them. You know, but here, here the Bible says that Jesus, he said he had need to go through Samaria. Most of the Jews, they wouldn't even go through Samaria. They would, they would make the journey all the way around the town just to keep from having to, to come in contact with the Samaritans. But Jesus, it says that he had need to go through Samaria. It says, so he came to the city of Samaria, which is called uh, Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave his son Joseph. And now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. And it was about the sixth hour. And that's about noontime. Okay? And a woman of Samaria came to draw water. Now, this was... This was uh, Interesting because the women would always come early in the morning to draw water because of the heat and, and different things. And they would draw water in the morning and in the evenings, not in the middle of the day. Jesus came at noon, and here comes this woman to draw water. Now, there, was, there, was reason, there would be reasons why somebody would come at that time of day. And the main reason, and we'll find out why in just a moment, but the main reason was to avoid other people. And that's what this woman was doing because of her background here. And we'll see this. So a woman of Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. 
for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. But Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would give you living water. The woman said to him, Well, sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Now, this is interesting because in John chapter 3, just one chapter over, Nicodemus has the same problem. Jesus starts talking to Nicodemus in in John chapter 3, and Jesus tells Nicodemus, you must be born again. Nicodemus says what? How can a man my age enter back into my mother's womb? You see, both of these people, the Samaritan woman and Nicodemus, they were thinking on a natural level. Jesus was talking spiritually. Both cases. You know, with Nicodemus, Jesus said, Jesus, Jesus was like, it's not a physical birth, it's a spiritual birth. Here with this woman, Jesus, Jesus is going to tell her, it's not physical water, but it's water that comes from the inside. You know, it's the Holy Ghost is what he was talking about. The water that, you know, and, and, she, and she was asking, you don't, she said, you don't have nothing to pull water out of the well. You think you're greater than Jacob? You think you're greater than Joseph who drunk out of this well? She said, how are you going to give me water? You know, she was thinking natural. He was talking spiritual. So, so verse 13, it goes on. Jesus answered and said unto her, Whoever drinks of this water, talking about the spiritual water he was talking about, or that he pointed, actually, I'm sorry. He says, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, pointing to the, to the well. He said, and then, but Jesus says, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water I shall give him shall, will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. So, see, she is still thinking natural. She says, what? You can give me water that I never have to come and work again and and never have to draw this water? This is hard work and caring. She said, give me this water then. And Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you have said, well, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you are now with is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. Jesus said, you're right when you said that. The woman said, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worship. And then, now listen, she's, remember, she is still on this natural plane. Jesus is still, Jesus just read her mail prophetically, and just, you know, with a word of wisdom that he couldn't have known any other way. He got it from the Holy Spirit. He, he just read her mail spiritually, and she's still thinking naturally. Because she says, she says, well, our fathers worshipped on this mountain. And you Jews say that Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. You know, so she's challenging him now. You know, she's kind of, kind of got offended at him, you know, because he, he said this to her. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither worship on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You work, now listen to what he said. He says, you worship what you do not know. We know what we worship because salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is a spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. Now, you can read different translations of this, and I won't take the time to do that this morning, but, but here's the, the gist of this. Here's what Jesus was saying. Jesus was saying this. He said, listen, there's going to come a time where the location doesn't matter. It's just like this morning. We have people watching on, on Facebook. We have people in their living rooms and in their kitchens and, and different things. We have people here in the sanctuary with us. And you know what? The same, the same God that we worship this morning as we sang and as we worshiped with our praise team, the same God that was here in this building was there in the living room with you. And, and that's what Jesus was saying. He said, he said, there's coming a day when the location won't matter, but what will matter is your heart. 
And that true worship doesn't have to do with the location. It doesn't have to do whether you've got one instrument, ten instruments, or no instruments. But it really, he said, he said, there's coming a day when God is going to seek those that worship Him out of a true heart. With the heart, with the right motive, with the right heart. And, and remember, now remember, we, we, we started out today talking about David being a man after God's own heart. What was David's heart? David's heart was, God, I will not stop until I find a habitation for you. And when I find that habitation, I will not stop worshiping you. I will not stop thanking you. I will not stop giving sacrifices to you. I will worship and praise for the rest of my life. David, David said that. He said, he said, you know, he said, my greatest desire is to be in the house of the Lord forever. To be in His presence forever. He wasn't talking about being in a church building. He was talking about being in the presence of God. And Jesus, Jesus said this. He said, lady, he said, I want to tell you something. He said, it's not about whether you're on this mountain or whether you're in Jerusalem. He says, what, what matters most is where your heart is. God is a spirit, and he says that God is looking for people to worship him in spirit and in truth. And, he's, and, and like I said, other translations say that, that, it, that this comes down to a heart issue. Do you have a heart of worship? What, what do you, let me ask you this question. What did you bring God this morning when you came into worship? When you, when you came to God this morning, what was it that you brought him? Now, now listen, you, you might say, well, you know, I, I brought him, I brought him uh, you know, thoughts of having a good service. I prayed and asked him to bless us. I prayed and asked this. And I prayed to ask that. See, the, the, one of the problems with a lot of times, a lot of the times what we do, we come before God to worship him and we come wanting him to do something for us. The question is not, God, what are you going to do for me today? The question really should be, God, I'm just here. I'm just, it's not even a question. It's a, it's a statement. God, I'm just here to, to worship you. I'm just here out of a pure heart, out of a thankful heart. Remember what David said? He said, he, he put the Levites there. And the first thing he said was, he said, I want you to, he said, I want you to, uh, to commemorate, to commemorate, to thank, and, and just to offer praise to God. Turn back to, I didn't read that psalm. Turn back to, uh, to First Chronicles 16 real quick, and I'm gonna, we'll end with this. Let me get back there. First Chronicles 16. And I just want to read real quick. I'm just going to read through this real quick, and we're almost through. Verse 7. First Chronicles 16, verse 7. And it says, On that day David first delivered this psalm into the hand of Asphod and, and his brethren to thank the Lord. Now listen, here, here's, now I want you to get this picture, okay? David had, had, he had, we read in, in Psalm 132 where he said, he said, God, I'm not, I'm not going to close my eyes. I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to rest until I've created a habitation for you. Until I've created a place for you to abide. And he said, you know, and, and I'm going to give everything I've got. He gave over a billion, a hundred billion dollars. Now, David had a lot of money and a lot of gold and silver, yes. But, but it, he was, he was, I mean, he gave every, he, we can say it this way. He would give everything that he had to create this habitation. That was his heart. So, so they finally got back to Jerusalem and they, they got the Ark of the Covenant in the tabernacle, the habitation that David had built. And then here's, here's David's song. Here's David's song to the Lord. And this is his celebration. This is what David had longed for. And that he said, I'm not going to rest until, until this has happened. So David said this in verse 8. And we'll just read this real quick. He says, he says, oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon His name. Now, now remember, he's, he's, he's declaring this for all of Israel. This is, his, this is his declaration and to encourage all of Israel. Give thanks to the Lord. Call upon His name. I can just, I mean, I can just see David jumping and yelling and screaming in front of the Ark of the Covenant. You know, celebrating in front of the Ark of the Covenant. Encouraging all of Israel. Come, give glory to His name. Celebrate! The presence is here. The Ark is in Jerusalem. You know, and he's just, he's celebrating this. He says, make known His deeds among the people. 
Sing to Him. Sing praises to Him. Talk of all His wonderful works. Glory in His holy name. Let the hearts of those rejoice who seek the Lord. Seek the Lord and His strength. Seek His face evermore. Remember His marvelous works which He has done. His wonders and His judgments of His mouth. O seed of Israel, His servant, you children of Jacob, His chosen ones, He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. Remember His covenant forever. The word which He commanded for a thousand generations. The covenant which He made with Abraham and His oath to Isaac. And He confirmed it to Jacob for a statute. To Israel for an everlasting covenant. Saying, to you I will give the land of Canaan as an allotment of your inheritance. When you were few in number, indeed very few, and strangers in that land, when they went from one nation to another and from one kingdom to another people, He permitted no man to do them wrong. Yes, He rebuked kings for their sakes. Come on, He's just reminding God of what He did. He's reminding Israel to be thankful for what God has done. And He said He, said he rebuked kings for their sakes, saying, Do not touch my anointed ones, and do my prophets no harm. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Proclaim the good news of His salvation from day to day. Declare His glory among the nations, His wonders among the people. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is also to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the people are idols, but the Lord has made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before Him. Strength and gladness are in His place. Give to the Lord, O families of the people. Give to the Lord glory and strength. Give to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering and come before Him. Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Tremble before Him in all the earth. The world also is firmly established. It shall not be moved. Let the heavens rejoice and let the earth be glad. Let them say among the nations, The Lord reigns. Oh, come on, can you see this? I mean, David is just rejoicing in this. Let the sea roar in all of its fullness. Let the field rejoice in all that is in it. Then the trees of the woods shall rejoice before the Lord, for He is coming to judge the earth. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good and His mercy endure forever. And say, save us, O God of our salvation. Gather us together and deliver us from the Gentiles to give thanks to your holy name, to triumph in your praise. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. And all the people said, Amen. And praise the Lord. Now listen, you and I could write a psalm to the Lord this morning. The Bible actually in Ephesians tells us to sing, to encourage one another, sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to, and, and to encourage one another with those things. Well, Pastor, what kind of song could we, could, could we sing to the Lord this morning? Oh, thank you, God, for healing me. Thank you, God, for protecting me. Thank you, God, that there's no virus that can come near my house. Thank you, Lord, that on the cross you said it is finished. I am not, I have no fear in me because you are my healer. You are still my deliverer. You are my salvation, God. Who, what can man do to me when God is for me? What can man do to me? Greater is he that's in me than he that is in the world. Come on. I mean, we have, we have plenty to thank God for. But the question is, where is our heart? Do we have a heart of worship? Or do we just have a heart to make it through another day? Just have the heart to make a good living and go about life and hopefully one day we'll get our dream house and a dream car and a, you know, be able to enjoy our grandkids a little bit and, and you know, whatever comes will come. Or should we be like David who said, you know what? I'm not going to let a day pass that I don't spend time in the presence of God. I'm not, I'm, not going to, I'm not going to let things stop me from worshiping. I'm not going to let things take the place of God. Because everything else is just an idol compared to God. If I put anything before Him, it's an idol. He is the only place. We say that I put Him first place. Really, that, that's not even right. Because if He's first, then that means something else is second. And it will always compete to try to get the first. We just need to say this. 
He is the only place. He is my all in all. And you can do that and live your life, go to work, and, and you might say, well, I, I, I can't worship God all the time. Yes, you can. You can worship Him at work. You can worship Him at school. You can worship Him wherever you go. It doesn't mean you have to go around with your hands raised and, and you know, singing psalms all day. What that means is this. You live your life as a song to Him. You know, you live your life in a way that others see Him in your life. And let your life be a continual praise to your Father. To have a heart of worship. To have the heart that David had. To have the the heart to say, God, my one desire, my one thing is to be in your presence all the days of my life. Not to let anything take your place. Not to be distracted. Not to be... be, um, you know, let other things come in between me or you. But for, for, for me to keep my eye on you the whole time. Let me ask you this question. I want you to think for a moment, and we're, we'll close with this, with this. I want you to think of, of your greatest, the greatest memory, uh, something in your, in your past... Some, you know, the greatest memory you have of a place or a location, it may be an old house or it may be a, you know, something, something that when you think of, think of that place or that time, it brings a smile to your face. You know, and, and like I said, it may be, I, I remember I was reading uh, a Tommy Tenney book this week and he told the story about how he, he took his kids back to his hometown where he grew up and, and he was so excited because he hadn't been there in a long time and, and he took his kids, it was down in Louisiana, and it was in the middle of summer, and it was like 100 degrees outside, you know, and sticky and muggy, and, and, and he took them to, his, to the place where he grew up, and he said he was going to give them this grand tour, you know, and he got out of the car, and they're behind him, and, and they're complaining because it's hot and it's muggy, and it's, you know, they're sweating, and, and he's stopping at every, lo- he's stopping at the ditch and telling them how him and a, him and the neighbor got in a fight here. And he stopped at the tree and talked about how, how him and another neighbor climbed the tree every day. And he stopped at the fence and talked, talked, talked about how one time he ran his bicycle in the fence and, and he went through the gate and he went to the backyard and he's telling all these stories. And he said he turned around and his family wasn't there. You know, and he said he got to look. He's like, where did they go? And he said, oh, I bet you they're, they're mesmerized by the story of the ditch or the story of the tree. They're there just looking at it in awe, thinking, oh, my dad was here. And he said he retraced his steps and come to find out they had all got back in the van in the air conditioning. And finally, one of his kids told him, they said, Dad, they said, we love hearing the stories, but they don't mean nothing to us because we weren't there. You know, yeah, they meant something to you, but they don't mean anything to us. And how many times do we live our lives in our relationship with God and we, we bring Him things? Now, now, everything in our life matters to Him, you understand. But what, I, what I'm saying is this. Why don't we bring things to Him that matters to Him? Why don't we bring things to Him that He's interested in? And instead of and, and we, we've said this and you say it a bunch of different ways. But, but we always say this, we come up with our plan and we come up with, with, with things that we want to do and then we ask God to get involved in it. Why don't we, remember what David said in, in the first of, uh, in chapter 15, David said, the reason we failed the first time was because we didn't get God's order on this. We didn't ask Him how to do this thing. Could it be that we have to go back to God and get His plan first? And find out what he's interested in and find out what he wants to talk about. And the, think about, thinking about that favorite place, the place that brings memories. And then I want to ask you this question. Where do you think God's favorite place is? And you know, I want to tell you this. I believe God's favorite place is right here on the inside of every one of us. His son died so that he could be right here. This house. He died so he could be here and here and here and here and here. Jesus died so that every one of us could have God living on the inside of us. And my question is just simply this this morning. Do you have a heart 
of worship like David. And if you don't, then spend some time with the Lord and ask Him, ask Him to give you a heart like David had. Because David had a heart after, after God. And if you and I have a heart after God and we, and, and we have a desire to please God like David did, I promise you, we'll be okay. Because time and time again we see in David's life, and, and we talked about it a little bit earlier but when, when we got started in worship, we see David time and time again crying out to God in my time of trouble, and he heard me. I get God involved in every area of my life, and he hears me. So let's bow our heads just for a moment. And the first, the first part about having a heart after God is just giving, giving our lives to Him. And if you're here or watching this uh, online and you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, it's, it's really simple. The Bible says that if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, then we'll be born again. <clears throat> and, and just as, as simple as just simply saying, God, I believe that you lived and died and rose again for me. And today, I'm asking you to be the Lord of my life. And I believe what your word says. And, and from this day forward, you are the Lord of my life. Then the Bible says if you believe that and speak that, then you're born again. So if, if you've never made him the Lord of your life, just simply do that. You can leave a comment. You can put a comment in there that you asked Jesus to be your Lord. And, and man, we'll get in touch with you and, and rejoice with you. If you're here in the building today and you've never done that, we'd love to pray with you and and. And just rejoice with you in that. But, but the, the next invitation is this. So the next thing I just want to encourage you to do is this. I just encourage you to spend some time in worship. Spend some time like David. You know, and maybe it would be a good idea to write it out. Write out a song to the Lord. Write out a song to Him. Just thanking Him. Be a song of adoration. A song of thankfulness. A song just to say, God, I love you with all my heart. And here's why I love you. You saved me. You healed me. You delivered me. You set my family for you. You blessed, you know, you blessed me in this area and you blessed me in that area. And just, and you know, and just, you know, you made a difference in my life and you've shown me the way to do this and, and how to do that. Whatever the case may be, just write it out and, and present it to the Lord and say, Lord, here, here is my song to you. David wrote Psalms to the Lord so we can do the same thing. I encourage you to do that. Spend time in worship this week. Spend extra time, um, especially with all the stuff. Turn off the news and spend time in worship. And just watch what happens to your attitude, to your demeanor, to your, to your nerves. And just spend time. Give, give the devil zero place. Don't give him opportunity to take a foothold in your life. Worship the Lord. Magnify the Lord. Just be with Him and say, you know what, God, I'm just going to spend, instead of the hour I normally spend in front of the TV, I'm just going to spend it with you worshiping. You may only have 10, 15 minutes. Whatever it is, spend that time with God this week and magnify the Lord. And learn to have a heart of worship like David, a man after God's own heart. Let me pray for us as we get ready to leave. Father, we thank You for Your goodness and Your mercy today. Thank You, Father, for the Word. Uh, Lord, for the time of worship. Lord, we're so grateful for all that You have, all that has been accomplished today, Lord. People were set free and delivered and healed. Father, just, just in Your presence, great things happen. Father, even as we open the Word, and, and Father, the, the Bible tells us that the Word came and that the Word healed. Father, that, that Your Word brought healing and health to people today, deliverance to people. I thank You for that. And I just pray, Father, now, as we get ready to go our way, I thank You for protecting us. I thank You for watching over us. Father, we, we, we uh, just put our faith and our, our confidence in Psalm 91. Our faith and our confidence is in You. But, Lord, we look at Psalm 91 to see that You're, you're the same today as You were when that was written. And, Father, that, that you, you are still the same God that delivers us, that saves us, that keeps us safe. And, Father, we just claim that that's ours, that, that, that's ours today. As we dwell and abide in Your presence and in the shadow of the Almighty, Lord, that there's nothing that will come near us to harm us. No weapon formed against us will prosper. And I thank You for that. I pray blessings on each family. 
And I thank you, Lord, for giving us a great week. And, Father, as we keep our eyes on you, I thank you that, that we will see our lives turn around. Father, the, and the fear and the, the uncertainty will leave. And, Father, that this coronavirus will disappear as quickly as it showed up. And I thank you for that. I, I, I plead the blood of Jesus over every person of destiny, Father, over every person that's here, that's at home watching. And we just give you all the glory and all the praise, Father, for all that you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, God bless you guys. Thank you all for coming. And I pray you have a great week. We, we won't have service here tonight. Uh, there is, let me mention this, uh, Pastor John over at uh, Open Door Fellowship. He has a guy from the power team. Um, over there, and he'll be there tonight at 6 o'clock. 